Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that already in the service tonight, prayer has been made for our troops, our world situation, our president, and the Congress, and the military officials that will be leading in the battles in Europe. We pray that the will of God shall be done. We ask for safety for those who are on our prayer lists, for our servicemen. Lord, we just give it all to you. And we ask that the Spirit of God would move in the hearts of people all around the world. What the world needs is Jesus, not guns and ammunitions and all the bombs and the bombers. But Lord, help us to be faithful in sending out missionaries and sending out the gospel by radio and around the world. In the name of Jesus, amen. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, we have a very important statement that says a whole lot about why we do not have revival. I was talking to one of our teachers who uh, is a member of a church over at Rochester, and she said their, their church was in a revival meeting, but she said there's good preaching and so on, but the people are cold, and there seems to be no spiritual awakening. And uh, around our world, it's sort of like that. There are certain little areas where it seems like there's perennial revival. Thank God for that. But in much of God's church today, there's a lethargy. And Jesus said, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. One of the big reasons there's no spiritual power is because we're not hungry. We're not thirsty. We've gotten satisfied with our schedules. We've gotten satisfied with the status quo. We've gotten satisfied with the way things are. We enjoy doing what we do. And we have forgotten that God's mandate is for us to be faithful witnesses. There was a time in Israel's history when they forgot. As a result of their forgetting, they defiled the Sabbath day for 70 years. Their whole lifestyle was filled with idolatry, with adultery, with impurity, with cursings and swearings, and God sent preacher after preacher after preacher to wave a red flag in their face and they wouldn't listen. Many of those preachers spoke directly to the king. Somehow we have the idea today that preachers should leave the kings and the potentates and the presidents alone. Just let them do whatever they want to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I grew up honoring our nation. Whenever a president would come through Louisville, I would have goose pimples on my back. I remember when Franklin Roosevelt came through the railroad where, near where we live. We all went down there and just stood in line. I remember when Eisenhower came to Louisville to the airport. I went out there and waited three hours just to see him. I respect the office of the president. I respect our Congress. 
I respect America. I am patriotic to the nth. That's the reason we have the pledges to the legions, to the flag. That's the reason we have special services on the 4th of July. That's the reason we observe special days recognizing and thanking God for America. But folks, we need to pray for our nation. We need revival. What they need over in the area where there's fighting tonight, not bombs and planes and bullets and men dying for what? But we need the spiritual message of God. That area of the world, they're human beings. Some have been mistreated. Many of those are Muslim nations, and they do not know anything about Christ. And for us to enforce our will upon them is something we need to think through several times. So pray for America. But in addition to praying for America, let's pray for ourselves. There are three little words that can bring revival to our hearts, to our church, and to our land. Number one, confession. In 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven to forgive their sin and heal their land. If my people will pray. How many of you lived through at least part of World War II in the early 1940s? Lift your hands. Many of you. Some of you served in the armed forces during that time. What brought, what brought this nation to victory? Thank the Lord for the munitions and the... power plants and the, all, the, all the technology we had. But you know, German, Germany had more than that, more than we had. They had developed to the nth degree. They knew everything. And Japan would not have caused that sneak attack on Pearl Harbor if they didn't think they could win. And there were Japanese submarines going up and down the western sphere of America, our shores, and German submarines up and down the eastern board over there. And America almost lost the war. But what happened? We came together. America came together and people prayed. Churches were filled with people praying. Our men went overseas. Many of them never came home. There were silver stars placed in the windows and many of those silver stars turned to gold. Gold indicating a young man from that home or a young woman from that home had given his life on a foreign field. But God moved in answer to prayer. And our cause was right. Our cause was just. And God gave us victory. Since then, we've kicked God out of the schools We've kicked the Bible out of our schools. We've taken the Ten Commandments off the walls. We've said, God, we don't need you anymore. There are public places where they used to display Christmas scenes and they used to put up 
uh, thing, emblems of the Lord and so on. And in one particular place, there was a, a statue of Jesus and the ACLU sued the city to have that thing destroyed or removed. Now, that's the kind of situation we're in now. We need to pray. We need to pray for America. We need to pray for ourselves and for our individual lives. Pray for our people overseas. During the Vietnam War, we had a prayer list of military people. Some of you may remember that through the 60s, all through the Vietnam War, through the 70s. And thank God, not one of those persons that was on that prayer list was killed in battle. I believe God answered prayer. And he'll do it again. We had a slogan in those days in the World War I, we've done it before, we'll do it again. But we can't do it without God. And so we must humble ourselves and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. Then he'll hear from heaven and forgive our sin and heal their land, heal our land. The Lord is still in the saving business. He's still in the healing business. He's still in the forgiving business. He's still in the revival business. And God can be trusted. But we have to be hungry for it. Jesus said, blessed are they that are hungry and thirsty after righteousness. They shall be filled. Then Jesus said in Luke 11, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. God promises this. And then he said, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God answers prayer. And my friend, we're not going to see revival without prayer. We're not going to see people saved without prayer. When Zion travails, she brings forth children. I don't mean to be facetious, but there's not a mother here in this room tonight who didn't travail in sorrow before she brought forth her child. The Bible teaches it will be the same way with bringing forth spiritual children. We have to travail. We have to suffer. We have to want that more than we want food, more than we want anything. And when we're willing to pay the price, God will move in. And there will be souls saved and lives changed. And, and uh, we'll, we'll hear the moving of the Spirit in the mulberry bushes, so to speak. And we'll hear God doing something. The second word, not only confession, confession of our need, but we need compassion. In Psalm 126, 5 and 6, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. We need, we need to have compassion. Compassion for lost people. Compassion for saved people that are out of fellowship with God. Compassion for our neighbors, compassion for our family. Now, compassion doesn't mean little sweet things said to each other all the time. That's, there's a place for that. But compassion, you remember when, when, whenever that word is used with Jesus, it says he was moved with compassion. Compassion is always active, it's never passive. There's not one evidence in the scripture where Jesus was had compassion that he wasn't moved. And you and I, if we have real compassion, we're going to be moved to do something about it. 
we will put feet to our prayers. When I was in uh, college at Jackson, Tennessee, Selmer, Tennessee, had a, a big tornado. <laughs> and, uh, and then they had a fire. And I heard a black lady telling about it. She said, I had prayed against that beer joint. I had prayed against that beer joint. I had prayed against that beer joint. And she said, I decided to put feet to my prayers. And I went down there planning to burn it down. And all of a sudden the tornado came and tore it down. And she said, I thank the Lord. And she praised God for tearing that old beer joint down. Well, we need to put feet to our prayers. We need to say, Lord, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to express the compassion, my care, my concern for other people, and I'll go. The third word is the control of the Holy Spirit. Confession of our need, compassion for the lost, and the control of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 16, and when he has come, He'll reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because you believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The control of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, when he speaks gently to us, let's immediately do what he says. God grant that there will be no pharisaical attitude among us. When someone walks down the aisle and makes a prayer request or comes and kneels at the altar or recommits his life to Christ or comes with some commitment to the Lord and somebody would say, oh, he does that all the time. He does it. Why does he do that so many times? Shame on us for saying a thing like that. That's wrong. That's wicked. That says something about your heart. If you're guilty of saying that, it says something about your heart, not about the person's coming. Thank God for the tenderness of anybody who hears God speak and responds immediately. You see, we have to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Whatever the Holy Spirit tells us to do, let's do it. He will, when we're intoxicated with the Spirit, and Brother Teddy preaches on this, the sin of what? The sin of sobriety. And he uses Ephesians 5, 18, uh, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He talks about being, uh, not being filled with the Spirit as the sin of being too sober spiritually. That is, without being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you and I need to avoid the sin of sobriety. We need to be so intoxicated with the Spirit of God that whatever He asks us to do, we'll do. I've given this illustration before, and some of you know it by heart, but I like to tell about it. Years ago, when the hospital was on the hill, over, over the hospital hill, I was visiting the hospital one day, and I came out, and the Lord said, you ought to speak to, there was a man in there uh, uh, sweeping the walkway and the, and the driveway, and the, the Spirit of God said, you ought to speak to this man about his soul. Well, I said, Lord, I'm in a hurry. I've got an appointment across town. I'm late. I, I can talk to him at another time. And I went to get in my car and God said, you ought to go back and speak to him. So I did. Went out and shook hands with him, told him who I was and asked him his name. And, and then I said, sir, do you know Jesus as your savior? 
Oh, he said, yes, I do. I love the Lord, and, and I'm so glad you asked me. That's an encouragement. I'm so glad you, you mentioned this to me. But I went back to the car. I had a little prayer with him. Then I went back to the car, and I said, Lord, that's strange. That man was already saved. Why did you ask me to do that? Then I just forgot about it, went on. That afternoon, I was visiting again, and the Lord said, you ought to go into this house right here. I had no idea who lived there. I'd never been to that house before. He said, you need to go into that house right now. I said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. I drove up in that driveway, got out, went to the door, and a girl came to the door and said, you're a preacher, aren't you? Well, I said, yes, I am. She said, well, we've been expecting you. Well, I went in, and she went in the back room and got her father and brought him out, and he said, you're a preacher. I asked God this morning to send somebody to me. He said, I'm on my way to hell, and I want to be saved. Would you pray for me? We got down on an old hassock in his front room, and I showed him from the Bible how to be saved, and that dear man gave his heart to Christ right then. Now, the lesson I drew from that, if I had not obeyed the Lord in the morning, I wouldn't have obeyed it that afternoon. There has to be the control of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we're so close to Him and so filled with Him, we can sense what He wants us to do. And when we know that in our heart, we need to do it. And not worry if it sounds foolish. Not worry if you don't know somebody. Just break out beyond those boundaries of timidity and reserve and just say, Lord, I'm going to do what you want me to do. You remember Philip was in a great revival at Samaria, the same place Jesus had preached where the woman at Samaria well was saved. And Philip had gone back there after the Lord went back to glory and had a great revival. There was great joy in that city, the Acts, book of Acts says. And right in the middle of it, God said to Philip, I need you somewhere else. You get up and go down to the road that leads to Gaza. He didn't know why, but he did what God said. He got up and went down to the road that leads to Gaza. And there was a chariot coming along. And in that chariot was the Ethiopian eunuch, a man of great respect in Ethiopia. And he was reading the Old Testament. He was reading in Isaiah. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes were healed. And Philip called up to him, do you understand what you're reading? <laughs> the man said, how can I except somebody tell me? And Philip immediately climbed up in that chariot and showed him Jesus from Isaiah 53. They went along a little while and Philip explained all about Jesus and how to be saved and what we ought to do after we're saved about baptism. And as they went along, they came across a body of water. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, see, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, you may be baptized. And they went down into the water, both of them. And he baptized him, came up out of the water, then Philip was caught away somewhere else. Appointment with one man. We had a man in our church many years ago, a visitor here from Ethiopia. And some were asking him, sir, did your 
church in Ethiopia come out of the Catholic Church? Or where did, how did it originate? He said, no, our church in Ethiopia was built on the basis of that witness of that Ethiopian eunuch. He came down here filled with God and he began to win people to Jesus. And there, there developed a church in Ethiopia. Just one man. Now folks, God can use us this week if we'll let him. Let him have holy control of our lives. Confess our needs, confess our sins, compassion for the unsaved and those on the outside and a control of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and God will do the rest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the truths of the Word of God. We pray that the Holy Spirit will move in our hearts and give us a victory over timidity and shyness and all those things, and uh, help us to be close enough to you that we can hear the inner secrets and words of God speaking to our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. As we sing in a moment, what page? 378, I surrender all. Turn there and then listen just a moment. This is God's invitation. If God has spoken to you about any matter at all, respond. Just say, Lord, I'll do whatever you want. It may mean kneeling at the altar. It may mean a recommitment of your life. It may mean confessing some sin. It may mean saying, Lord, I haven't been really as faithful in trying to reach people for Christ as I ought to have been. Whatever the Lord impresses you, let him have his way. If you're here tonight and you're not positive you're saved, you're not sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that if you died tonight you'd go to heaven, will you come? Let us show you from the Bible. Let's just pray with you. Do what God tells you to do while we sing, while we pray.